This is Watch the Media. I'm John Schrader. With us now from her home in the Bay Area is sportscaster Kate Scott, uh, who just made history a couple of weeks ago as part of an all-women broadcasting team uh, doing an NHL game between the Blues and the Blackhawks. We're going to talk about that in a minute after we talk about a couple of other things. Kate, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for making time, John. It's great to be here. Absolutely. And I guess maybe the first question for you is, um, what does a sportscaster do when a sportscaster can't cast sports, <laughs> as we all are sort of <laughs> in this situation now? What do you oh, do? that sounds like a new tongue twister. I'm yeah. going to have to use the warm-up before game, <laughs> uh, because it is just unprecedented what's going on right now, right? And I'm so glad that we're all, for the most part, trying to stay healthy and safe. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's only week one, so still trying to figure that out, because the main gig for me uh, is the Pac-12 Network, and was getting ready to finish covering our, our Pac-12 men's basketball tournament, got sent home from that in Vegas, and then was, as I'm sure a lot of other folks were, getting ready to, to cover the uh, NCAA tournaments, and then was going to transition into softball and spring football, so now all of a sudden, there's none of that, which is really odd. Um, I'm lucky enough to have a few other gigs, so I'm I'm doing a podcast of my own. It's called uh, The Update, and it's Monday, Wednesday, Friday, so three days a week for the athletic out here in the Bay Area. And just kind of, we had been getting you up to date on the the big sports stories of the moment, so we'd switch off between all the teams here in the Bay. So now, actually looking forward to getting into doing a lot of storytelling and and catching up with the writers who cover the teams and kind of getting behind the scenes on specific athletes and, and storylines of the past years and just kind of trying to go back into the vaults like I know a lot of television stations are because this is such a crazy time. And then other than that, hoping to catch up, as you know, John, on all the things that you kind of put on the side and hopefully wait for the off season that never seems to come because you're lucky enough to keep getting work. So hopefully we'll uh, have some time to update the you know resume reel and uh, potentially practice calling some more sports just off the television or off the computer to just the most of my time with with no sports actually going on i guess we should have s sort of seen this coming but we really don't i mean we really don't think in big picture we're so busy just trying to get by to the next event to the next game to the mm -hmm. next season that we never really stop and think about where we fit in the big picture and i think and not to get existential about this but i think we might have an opportunity here all of us to sort of figure out how we all fit in the big picture as all of us are sitting here on the sidelines watching the world go by and hopefully we're all safe and healthy and all of those things. But maybe we do have a chance here to sort of sit back and get retrospective a bit. What do you think? Yeah. Well, that's what I'm hoping for because, I mean, it's something I've talked about with some close friends in the past couple of years that obviously I feel incredibly lucky and grateful to have the career that I do that doesn't really have an off season right now because there's so many folks who would die for that. Right. So I, I'm very grateful and happy about that and love what I do, but I, I find it hard at times to, to be creative and to have that time to be retrospective because it seems as if every moment of the day is, okay, what game do I have to call next? Okay. Who haven't I emailed back yet? Okay. What, you know, there's always something. So in a strange way, as long as, as you mentioned, as long as everybody that we love stays healthy and safe, I'm actually kind of looking forward to this time to maybe just hit the pause button for a brief moment um, and not have to think about what's next and just kind of sit with our emotions for a bit because it seems like with social media and just the world moving so quickly these days, there's so little time for any of us to do that. It almost feels like in a strange way the world is kind of saying, 
okay, y'all have been focused on what's next too much. It's time for everybody to take a pause and kind of recreate or kind of reawaken whatever kind of artistry or thoughts or feelings there are inside of us, because I find myself struggling to even know what I'm feeling half the time because I'm so focused on what I have to accomplish next. Um, so, yeah, so I'm, I'm interested to see what I'm able to do in this time and kind of figuring out, like you said, where I fit and where I really want to fit moving forward once we kind of get back to whatever the next normal will be. And I, I hope a lot of other people will have a chance to do that, too. So I'm sure you're lucky, and I think all of us are lucky that that this break, this enforced break um, for all of us, came after March 8th, when you and a band of women, all women, broadcast a hockey game, Chicago and St. Louis, the Blackhawks and the Blues, and you called the play-by-play uh, of that game and um, made history in that everybody on the crew was a woman. here by Schwartz, Sammy Blay. Moved up to the second line. Blay turns, fires. Crawford is there. The rebound in front. Bortuzzo, no. Shed, no. Bortuzzo has our first goal of the night. It's 1-0. St. Louis. Good transition here. Puck's bouncing. And it's puck pursuit and it's pressure. You watch Schwartz come in. You can see him setting a little peck on Olimata. And they stay with it. And Bortuzzo, a defenseman, comes down. They get a ton of offense from their defenseman. They read when they can come in and take advantage of those opportunities. And, Con and Connor Murphy draws his attention to Braden Shen, which allows Bortuzzo to be somewhat open. That's a tough scoring angle to put that puck in the back of that. And That's how did it feel to be a part of that? And, of course, you... You, you, you led up to it, you fed up to it, there was a lot of publicity, but how was it to yeah. be a part of that? Did you, could, could you feel that at the moment? You know, I think I started to feel it as the day went on, John. Um, and like you mentioned, we are so grateful that it was March 8th and not March 18th, right? I mean, mm -hmm. again, it just would have been in a sporting event and, you know, nobody would have been that hurt if it didn't happen. But we'd all worked so hard to put that together in the months leading up to it and wanted it so badly to be a success that uh, selfishly, I'm really happy that we were able to get it in. Um, and yeah, leading up to the event, I mean, I'm sure that you read in interviews that I, I kind of questioned whether I should say yes for a number of reasons. One being because I hadn't called hockey before. Um, but the other thing being that I had always kind of looked at the all-female broadcasts that have started to happen over the past few years, kind of with a bit of a side eye, like, well, is this a stunt? What's the real point of this? Why, why can't we just have one woman on a broadcast with men. Why can't we just start getting everybody who's qualified working together? Um, and I loved what NBC said to me and eventually obviously convinced me into doing it. And they just said, Kate, this isn't about you. We're really not trying to highlight you. It's just such a great time right now for women in hockey because Kendall Coyne Schofield, who was our inside the glass, our, our sideline reporter of sorts, because of her fastest lap at All-Star a couple years ago, because of her and the other members of the three-on-three -three competition at this year's All-Star all-star game pardon me there's just such a huge wave of momentum right now when it comes to women and young girls getting into the sport of hockey and we really just want to continue to build on that when it comes to broadcasting to show all those young eyeballs who are now maybe focused or more more focused on the sport than they have been the past couple of years and show them that 
hey, in addition to playing hockey, look at these other things that might be a possibility as you get older. So as opposed to, like me, I didn't even know I wanted to get into play-by-play until after I graduated from college because there were so few women doing it there. What if we could inspire you know, some junior high and high school women to go to college and actually know that they want to do play-by-play or they want to try to get into producing or directing or being a camera operator. And um, hearing them say that really kind of put me over the top and, and agreeing to do it. And then to get back to your question, I wasn't sure how I was going to feel because I, I always try to keep things as just a game, regardless of the stakes of the game itself or, or kind of the publicity surrounding it like we had on March 8th. But the night before we had a pre-production dinner at Harry Carey's in Chicago, great Chicago restaurant. Um, and Lisa Seltzer, who was our legend of a director, NBC pulled her out of retirement. She directed an NHL broadcast for over 30 years. Um, and, and I went around to all the other women. Everybody knew each other because they all work in hockey all day. You know, somebody from the Panthers, there was somebody from the Avalanche, there was somebody from the Kings and the Ducks and a couple of women from the Sharks. So everybody knew each other. But I wanted to get to know their stories and every single one mentioned to me that Lisa Seltzer, our director, had mentored them at some point in their career. And just hearing again how hard each of them had worked, it gave me this just real sense of calm and confidence and really kind of brought to light the importance of what we were doing on that Sunday, March 8th. So going into the day, as you mentioned, there was more publicity. We did a ton of interviews that morning, got to watch just a a little bit of – some, uh, so we went into the dressing rooms, pardon me, there was no morning skate that was off because it was so late in the season, but we got to go talk to the guys, but again, the coronavirus was happening, so we were trying to keep our distance, it was a really weird time, but then once the broadcast started happening, and they started rolling in clips that we didn't know they were going to have of Leslie Visser, and Mary Carrillo, and Laura Oakman, and, and so many female icons when it comes to sports broadcasting, those are the moments where it really started to hit me, because I, I really wanted to not make it sound like a preachy broadcast we all agree we just wanted to call the game and be women who were just calling the game because that's who we are we just wanted it to be a great broadcast but when we saw those snippets obviously Catherine Tappan and Jennifer Bottrell did a great job highlighting other women who were involved in hockey during our intermission reports but that's when it really started to sink in that this is a, this is a really big deal and I'm really glad to be a part of it for the sport for hopefully the young fans and and women and men and just everybody watching. And then the few days after, um, I wasn't prepared for (laughs) how positive, John, the response was. The response, um, and I know there was lots of negativity, but uh, I was overwhelmed actually at the positive response and how people enjoyed it and really took to heart the mission of, yes, this wasn't about us. This is about trying to inspire the next generation. And, uh, So, yeah, even now, a little over a week after it's in the books, still kind of trying to start processing, hopefully, what a big deal it will be for the next couple of generations. Over this time in the offensive zone for St. Louis, and then they turn it over right back, comes to Petrangelo. Schwartz to backside, and St. Louis has doubled its lead. The captain, Alex Petrangelo. Kate Scott called the Blues and Blackhawks game on NBC Sports Network on March 8th. She's with us now. I'm John Schrader, and this is Watch the Media. All right, Kate, I tried hockey once, and it was really hard, so I decided probably on the part of the people who hired me once and, and, and myself that I wouldn't try it again. So it's really, really hard. I know you did some practice runs, but it's really, really a hard mm-hmm. sport to do if you don't do it every day, it if is. you don't live it every day. Um, what made you think 
you know, you said I thought about it and I don't do hockey all the time, but who or what or something inside of you convinced you that, that you, you should do it and I would do a good job. And you did. Mm. Well, thank you. Um, and I'm right there with you. Hockey is an incredibly difficult sport. I said in the past that I would never call hockey. But then <laughs> when NBC calls you and says, hey, we've got this idea and you're our top choice, it's kind of hard to say no to that. Yeah, no, you don't um, say no to those things. You just can't say no. Exactly. Um, and, you know, it was kind of experience because my first reaction to them was actually to say no, even though I knew it was an incredible opportunity, even though I was so flattered that they thought of me as their number one choice, even though I hadn't called hockey before. But the feeling of fear that started to well up inside of me as I was on the phone with them, it reminded me of back in 2016 when I sat in Lee Hammer's office at KNBR and the 49ers were on speakerphone asking me to call a couple of preseason games. I couldn't recognize it then because it was the first time I'd felt that emotion. But I realized when I was on the call with NBC, oh, yeah, I'm just afraid. I'm scared because this is scary. It's a risk, right? Things could go horribly and could be the end of my career but at the same time things could also go really well and it could be a great step forward so that experience and being able to recognize that fear so quickly that was one of the things that told me I should do this because um, the 49ers gig went better than I expected it to be and it turned out to be a really good step forward in my career Um, so that was one of the things and then also Talking to Doc Emmerich, right, who's the legend when it comes to hockey, Mike Doc Emmerich, um, and got to speak with him when we were in Chicago way back at the start of February. I met up with A.J. Malesko, met for the first time, and then we did a practice game. Our first one, it was the Bruins uh, and the Blackhawks in Chicago. And I had no idea if Doc even knew who I was, if he was going to be in support of what we were doing, no idea and sit down with him for a few minutes that morning before they're having their production meeting. And we just chatted for a couple minutes. He's a big baseball fan. We talked about that. He's a big dog fan. We talked about our dogs. And then he said, Kate, I just want you to know, I understand if you're nervous about this, um, but a couple of things. Al Michaels had called one hockey game before he dove into doing the 1980 Olympics. Nobody wanted to do hockey at that time because it wasn't the biggest sport. So he kind of got thrown into it. And I'd say he did all right. And the other thing, Kate, is you're a professional play-by-play announcer. And even while you haven't done hockey before, what other sports do you call? And I listed off the sports. Well, I do soccer and volleyball and football and basketball. He said, yeah, okay, enough stuff. (laughs) He said, so you know what you're going to need to do to feel prepared When you step into the United Center a little over a month from now, you know what you're going to need to do in your preparation, what you're going to need to watch, what you're going to need to read. And other than that, you have all of us here who do it day in and day out, and we are more than happy to give you whatever advice you need or to steer away from that because it will overwhelm you. So just know that NBC picked you for a reason and that you can do this. So (laughs) once you kind of combine all of those things – um, that really gave me the confidence to just dive in. And that's what I did. And once, I'm sure like you, John, once you get into your prep, once you're in it, then it starts to get easier and easier because you become familiar with things and that brings you a level of calm. And then the hockey world in general, so many people reached out, obviously everyone here with the Sharks in San Jose, but uh, Bob McElliott, who does play-by-play for the Columbus Blue Jackets, John Forslund from the Carolina Hurricanes, um, Jack Michael from the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, so many people who I've never met before, had no reason to reach out, were 
really supportive, which was just kind of surprising to me, actually, because they worked their tails off, right, in this sport forever, and it took them a long time to get their job, so I could understand them kind of scoffing and not wanting anything to do with us because um, it would be my first hockey broadcast. But their support, coupled with everything that I told you, just uh, told me that it was the right thing to do, and I'm glad I said yes. And now, I mean, it's damn hard, and I, there's a million things I wish I would have done slightly better on the broadcast, but hockey's darn fun once you kind of dive into it, John. So I'm hoping that maybe I'll get a chance to call a few more games down the road. So, Kate, you know how I feel about this. Maybe one day it won't be news. It won't be a headline news mm-hmm. that all women broadcast a, a, a professional sport in, in America. But we know it's still news. Uh, but are we a step, maybe a big step, maybe a giant step closer to somebody saying, look, you're good enough, young lady. Um, I'll give you a major league job. I'll give you an NFL job. I'll, I'll, I'll not give you. You've earned an NFL job or a major, major league baseball job. You think we're closer? I think we are. I, I truly think that we are getting closer. Um, and I don't know if that means a year from now or two or three years from now, but I do think we are closer because that was one of the most positive responses that I read after our broadcast was, heck yeah, it's so great to see AJ and Jen there. We love them on our Islander games. Oh, we love Kendall on our Sharks games. Yeah, we've been watching Kate do the Pac-12 for the past number of years. It's about time she got her shot. And, And most of those were for men. So when you hear that acceptance, when it's not about oh, the women did so good, just that they were picking out individual people on the broadcast that they really liked. And and that was another one of the responses. Yeah, this is great, but how about we just have them mixed up with the guys that we have on our broadcast? We'd love to hear Kate on a Sharks broadcast here in the Bay Area, you know? Um, so responses like that, I didn't read a couple years ago when I was diving into calling football for the first couple of times. Um, so that definitely shows me that we're taking a step forward. And uh, actually, just a couple of days ago was you know, doing more post interviews with radio stations here in California. And one of the guests on after me was the voice of one of the single A baseball teams in California, Jill Guerin. So a woman calling single A baseball. And as you know, that's where you got to start. And I think that's the big thing. And that's what I've been telling people that it's great that we are making this progress, but for there to be more women prepared, as you mentioned, and talented and uh, deserving of these jobs, not because, oh, we want some diversity, but because they're just darn good broadcasters. Got to start them earlier. They got to want to do this when they're in high school. They got to go and at college radio stations, get their reps in then all the stuff that I missed and, and felt like I've had to catch up on. So it's great to hear more and more youngsters getting in at the college level and the minor league level so that they'll be able to be prepared so that hopefully in the next few years when, when the organizations at the college and pro level are, are looking for that next broadcaster, they'll be qualified and ready to do it. You know, one of the things that sort of keeps people out of certain businesses is that they look around and they, they see there's nobody who looks like me here. <laughs> there's yep. nobody who looks like me in the room <laughs> here. What's going on? There, there, there are no women in the room. What's going on here? What made you think? Um, after you got out of college that you could um, could play in this arena, so to speak? What gave you that confidence that you could do that? Well, you know what? I didn't even think about play-by-play when I was graduating from Cal. Uh, at the time, which was not that long ago, 2005, uh, I thought sideline reporting was going to be it. I knew that anchoring might be a possibility too because Linda Cohn, Robin Roberts, Hannah Storm, those were 
uh, the female anchors I saw growing up, but I really wanted to be involved in the live action as much as I could. And the only thing I thought at that time was sideline reporting. So that's what I did, and that's how I started. And I'm so thankful that I did because it's a darn hard job to do well. And it actually taught me a lot and gave me a really great perspective now as a play-by-play announcer who is trying to get her sideline involved. Um, But, you know, to be honest, it wasn't until uh, I started getting in contact with some folks at the national networks, at ESPN, at NBC, at Fox. And the feedback that I got from everybody when they looked at my sideline reel was, well, Kate, we, we love your sideline reel. We think you're great. But, hey, have you considered play-by-play? Literally every response from all the big networks. So they were at that time already thinking ahead that that was where they wanted to, to push things. And I'm <laughs> thank goodness that they sent me that. And I remember thinking to myself, well, no, I haven't thought about it. And man, <laughs> this feels like I'm going to have to take a couple steps back in my career because I felt like my radio was at a good point. I felt like my sideline was at a good point. And now they're asking me to learn a new skill that's going to take a while to get to the level where I feel like these current levels are uh, of the things I'm doing. And it was a very conscious choice because I knew that I was going to have to pause kind of isn't the right word, but in a way it was because I thought that maybe if I kept pushing out the sideline reel, that you know that might be the next big gig. I might finally get picked up by ESPN, or I might get picked up by a pro team. Um, you know, I was working for the, the San Jose Earthquakes here in the Bay Area, the MLS team, but maybe maybe the Giants or the Warriors or the 49ers or somebody at that next step would want me. Um, but hearing that from all of the networks, and then very soon after getting a call from Paul Aldridge, the first ever producer I worked with when I was at Cal, asking me out of the blue to do play-by-play for high school football here in the Bay Area. Uh, It just kind of felt like a sign, you know? Okay, all these important people who know what they're talking about are telling me I should look into this. Somebody who's looked out for me since I was a sophomore in college is asking me to do this. Okay, I, I feel like I should dive into this. Because, as you said, there were so few women doing it that I just didn't think it was something I could be successful at. The only people I saw were Beth Moans and Pam Ward. But to me, they both seem like East Coast, ESPN, you know, Syracuse. They they went through all the reps that I didn't get in college. So I wasn't sure that I'd be able to make it work. But I'm darn, I'm darn glad that, uh, that I listened to whatever that intuition was and that I had people supporting me along the way uh, because I love it. And at this point, I can't imagine doing anything else. Should have done this disclaimer before, but uh, Kate and I worked together on those earthquakes broadcasts. So right after your <laughs> college days, um, mm-hmm. and we and we worked at the same radio station, though um, we sort of crossed over. I was sort of leaving as you were coming in. So um, yeah, uh, in in the Bay Area in San Francisco. I'm John Schrader, and this is Watch the Media. Kate Scott is with us talking about her career and her work as a hockey announcer. Works for the Pac-12 Network. Does a three days a week podcast for the Athletic which is the uh, all-digital sports journalism um, app and uh, website. You are not only a woman in this business, but you are a gay woman working in this business and an openly gay woman working in this business. Um, what kind of impact has that had um, on you and your, on your career? That's a great question. I'm still trying to figure that out, John, um, because that was one of the most interesting things to me uh, about the recent NHL broadcast was that nobody asked me about that. 
which was so fascinating to me and and (laughs) makes me think, right? I mean, that's what we always want. It makes me think, okay, people just know now and it's not a big deal. Um, So that was really fascinating to me. Um, It's changed a lot since I uh, came out back in, gosh, what was it? I guess 2011 was when I started at KNBR. So I was out before then, but once you go into the flamethrower, as we call it here in the Bay Area, the yeah. Giants and the 49ers and the Warriors flagship sports radio station and Sam Gay, well, it's kind of a bigger <laughs> deal all of a sudden than just your friends and family knowing. Um, and, and that was a different time, even though it was nine years ago. But there was lots of response. Uh, a lot of people had opinions. Most of them were positive um, and just, wow, you're brave and courageous and thanks for being you. Um and there was some blowback, but, but now the responses that I've gotten the last couple of years, as it has seemed to normalize a bit, um, and I don't really feel the need to come out anymore. I will just talk about my wife in speeches or on social media the same way that I see all of my straight coworkers doing it because it's just part of my life now, right? If yeah. I'm going on vacation, chances are she's with me. Um, so the responses I have been seeing over the last couple of years have come from other journalists who are themselves trying to come out um, and trying to figure out the right way to do it. And they have told me privately that just seeing me be so open about it um, has really helped them and helped them kind of work through all their emotions behind the scenes and then get to the point where they were ready to come out. Um, so that has been really wonderful to me because I try whenever I can for whatever it is, whether it's because I'm a woman or because I'm gay or because I'm from the Central Valley or Calgrad, I try to be a role model for all of the different entities and groups that I feel a part of and feel like I represent because I think it's important if you're in a position uh, that's you know in the public eye to try your best. Not everybody feels that way, but I just feel like I'm very fortunate um, to have that responsibility, so I try to make the most of it when I can. So even last week, actually, um, a young woman who is working her way up in the sports industry and lives in a different part of the country. I know that I'm really lucky living here in the Bay Area. Um, she does not live in the Bay Area and lives in a pretty conservative community, and she was pretty scared about it, but she just made a wonderful social media post about her girlfriend a couple of days ago and how they've been together for a year and she's so happy and it was so cool because the responses were so positive uh and i reached out to her a couple of days afterwards and just said you know i hope you're i hope you're feeling the love and i'm so proud of you and her response was you have no idea how much you helped me just by being you and living your life openly so if if that can be what happens again john just because I, i'm being me and doing what i love then i mean gosh how lucky am i So I'm going to ask you a question that a lot of my students ask me, and that is, um, why is it there? Why are there so many more women athletes, so many more women in sports who are um, openly gay, who are out than men? That's Mm -hmm. my question. Why? Yeah, that is a that is a great question. And I see why they ask it. And uh, that's a question that I'm still trying to figure out, too. I think there's so many layers to it. Um, I think the masculinity complex is a big part of it um, because we're brought up, at least in the United States, in a society where, um, at least when I was growing up, you know, 
you can't be masculine and gay. Those two things didn't go together because you had to act and look a certain way. Now, we've learned over hopefully at least the last decade that that's not the case at all, that there's all different types of straight men and gay men, and you can act this way or look this way, and it has no play on your sexuality whatsoever. Um, I think that's a part of it, kind of the masculinity and the machismo. Um, I think the fact that male athletes are supposed to take that to a complete extra level, right, when it goes to you just got to be ready to knock each other's heads off. And a lot of people have trouble wrapping their heads around that and the stereotype that they have in their head about what a gay man should look and act like. Um, I I know personally um, that it seems like just in general sometimes um, we as lesbians, as women who are gay, have more acceptance than men and this will probably get too deep but some of some of that i know i've spoken with people comes to the whole attraction of well men like watching two women make out versus two men make out so there's kind of that added layer um and ben i can't speak to this because i've only been a, a woman in a woman's locker room i have obviously haven't been a guy in a guy's but the sisterhood, there's something about that sisterhood and acceptance because I've spoken with a lot of um, women who've either been a gay athlete in a, in a locker room that had to come out or have been straight athletes and ask them about their experiences with their gay teammates. And they just bring it back to that sisterhood and how when they open themselves up to their teammates, it just took the, the sisterhood that much deeper um, because it showed that they trusted them with their biggest secrets. So yeah, it's it's a really layered, difficult thing to answer, and I think it differs by by team and by state. And there's so many different culture matters, and um, you know, religion, and there's so many different parts of that onion. But those are some of the ones that I've heard unpacked over the last few years. Well, hopefully, one of these days we can we can get it all unpacked. We can get it out in the open because we know yeah. there are tortured teenagers, there are tortured young men and women who for the reasons we know and some of which we've discussed um, just can't or feel like they can't um, share their full identity um, with the world. And and I feel really bad for those people because they they, they need to be tortured. It's crazy that we're still having to to talk about this, but you're completely right. And that's why even though it doesn't feel like a big deal to me, especially because of where I live and how old I am now and stuff, it's not a big deal that I'm out, but it does matter. So each and every person that that comes out and lives their life openly matters, especially to those kids who are living in silence and privately tortured just because they don't know what to do. Yeah, and I appreciate you sharing it with us, and and it's important for me that that my students and all the young people around me know and and hear this story, and I and I really appreciate you sharing it uh, with us. I really do. Yeah, always always happy to discuss. Okay, as we wrap this up, Kate, what's next? Now you have to sit around and watch um, the world go by and stay <laughs> stay healthy and and walk your dog, and you're in you're in a shelter mm-hmm. in place area in the in the Bay Area. Um, just as you get all this attention and, and deservedly from your work as a, as a hockey announcer, um, you know, what, what's next? What are you just kind of waiting for the next opportunity and the next, um, big thing to come along other than the gigs you have, but those are on hold as well. Um, you know, what are you hoping to parlay from, from what's happened to you in the last few weeks? Yeah, it is really interesting, right? Like I said, we're so happy that we got the hockey game in, but now, the entire world um, takes a pause, but I'm trying to 
think about it as positively as I can in that I was, <laughs> I had that date on the calendar circled because I've been working my tail off and right after uh, called the game, actually went right back to Vegas and was in Las Vegas covering the Pac-12 men's basketball tournament. Um, so I was so looking forward to getting a break once basketball wound down that now it's forced upon us, whether we want it or not. Um, so I'm really looking forward to, to diving more into the storytelling on the podcast that, that I do out here. As you mentioned, it's, it's called The Update. It's for The Athletic, and it's free, and you can listen to it anywhere. Um, and it, it has been focused on Bay Area teams and athletes, but we may expand that now that, uh, you know, everything is at a pause. Uh, just got back to hosting the first episode since I returned yesterday and actually decided to have uh, our director, Lisa Seltzer, on from the all-women's broadcast for the NHL just because I was so fascinated by her story and how she impacted so many of the women that I worked with. Um, so that was that was yesterday. Um, so really looking forward to getting into that and learning more about why we're cheering for certain athletes and coaches here in the Bay. And then looking forward to just recharging the batteries because it's taken me so long, John, I'm sure you can relate to this, to realize that in order to be the best broadcaster and the best, you know, daughter and wife and all the different things that I can be, it is so important to recharge and just breathe and try to try to stop looking to what's next and try to just sit with how I'm feeling and thinking at that moment to see what, what is inspiring me and what I truly want to do next before just diving into something because maybe the opportunity is there. So I'm looking forward to taking advantage of that. Hopefully it'll give me something to write about because I love writing and I haven't done that in a while just because I haven't been able to find that creative spark. So yeah, looking forward to all of that and just sitting in um, being grateful for what we accomplished on March 8th and, and looking forward to the unknown because I think that's kind of where we all are right now. So hopefully do some mentoring in there too and have some more great conversations like the one we had here today. All right. That is a fabulous way to end the conversation. Kate Scott called the play-by-play on the all-women's broadcast of the Blues and the Blackhawks on NBC Sports Network. Also does a podcast for The Athletic, works for the Pac-12 Networks. And she uh, survived as a fellow alumni of a little radio station, uh, 50,000 watt <laughs> high hard one in San Francisco. Kate, thanks a million. Hey, I appreciate it. <laughs> oh, so great being on, John. Thanks, thanks for the time. I'm John Schrader, and this is Watch the Media.